0: next African story will be written by Africans. Meet the people using technology, innovation and entrepreneurship to craft this new narrative.
1: This is Building the Future podcast with your host, Dolton. coming up today on Building the Future.
0: If you were to say, we got all the oil money and just split it among everybody, all the government would owe you is American dollars. If we're ever going to take off as an economy, it's not just oil.
1: My guest today is Tola Onoyemi. He's an SA on industry, trade, and investment, and also sits in the economic team in the office of the vice president. I'm quite impressed with what Tola has done so far, actually. I'm also more impressed with what he's doing now with regards to being involved in the ease of doing business um, because most people know about the difficulty that entrepreneurs face in Africa generally not just Nigeria with regards to starting and running their business so um I've got Tola here today uh Tola welcome to in the future thank you very much Doton thank you very much so Tola first of all let's start with your background what led you here to you after a relatively young age maybe you're working with the government you could be working in in a consulting you could be working elsewhere what led you to this place
0: all right, so I think a good background is to start with what exactly is that I do and then I'll devote quickly into um, what exactly it is that and how I got here so more specifically um I'm in the economic team of the office of the vice president and industry and investment cluster I am um, I industry trade and investment meaning I provide technical policy assistance on issues of industry trade and investment industry in the sense of the entire gamut of non-oil sector policies to help the non-oil sector take off So textile, automobile, and all that. Trade, so things like trade negotiations, um, trade policy reviews, and just setting the interest, trade policy agenda and priorities. Then investment also, so trade and um, investment policies and all that. The team is headed by the senior special assistant to the president on industry and investment, but that's the gamut of work we do, and it's also crystallised into the more specific two roles of the ease of doing business effort by the government through the setup of the presidential enabling business environment council, um, as well as the recent setup of the Nigerian office for trade negotiations, both things that I'm involved in. So how did I get here? I like to say it's um, someone said yourself saying things like it's God, so <laughs> just give people the details, right? So, but the thing is, I think it's a lot of. Just having people who believed in me and just gave me a platform to start up on. Um to so great exercise. So I finished university. I had finished the first class um in law. Which university? Yeah, um, University of Lagos, actually. My first degree, first class in law. And um right after that, I'd done a almost like a research fellowship with a certain professor, Professor Oyewo. And yeah, I just first admonished me, applied it for your master's, you know, it's applied to Cambridge. I'm like, yeah, I'll think about it. So I ran into this woman at the Kuramo conference where I was rapporteuring some days after Dr. Oduwale. She just said, you know what? You should apply to this, the, to Cambridge. And I think it was a week to the close of the deadline. So I applied, right? And before then, I'd done some work in the past with some law firm doing transactions work. I'd done some work in the past with Even City Bank. So I applied. I got into Cambridge with a scholarship and all that. Did that. And then, and that was where it was interesting because I went with an open mind. I just went to do a master's. There wasn't any clear idea of where I wanted to end up doing, like what specific areas and all that. So in Cambridge, I. I had this professor who an in Grassroots can who was doing some work along the issues of cross in trade and he just advised me and said, You know what, you should totally write a research in this area and then, and then we got talking, we got became and then I'd gone, open. I was going to do a master's in transactional corporate law. And then I started moving into things like international economic law, international economic trade. And I just got really interested in it. About how developing countries to take off using their trade policies, being very strategic about their investment.
1: Was policy. that your, uh, was that a thesis that you were doing? So, yeah, in, I wrote a thesis.
0: So I, I did a number of coursework also, but I did a thesis, actually a full-blown thesis on. Um, and it was it was more or less tied into something. So at that time, I took up my brother had won an award against the U.S., about $210 million. Who um, was won an award? Antigua and Barbuda, the country. Antiqua
1: and Babuda, the country. So
0: $210 million. And then I had to structure up a way for them to operationalize it. Because the question is, Antiqua and Babuda is just 0.04% of the US economy. So truth is, that's not even, an, that has no impact on the US economy in a sense. And so the idea is, how do we carefully structure a retaliation policy that ensures that the US takes notice?
1: Were you consulting for Antiqua and Babuda,
0: ba- not, Babuda? No, not in the clearest of terms, right? So the idea was, there was already a problem. And the idea was, I was in an academic background, using that as a background to operationalize that award basically, and so what I did at that point was help structure all that in the sense of okay, this is the sector the US cares the most about, and just using my sense of what trade and investment, and, and that's why I got all interested in it. Right after that, I moved to do some work with the organization of the prohibition of chemical weapons in the Netherlands and the Office of Legal Advice, and it was very interesting. Also doing work along the lines of helping structure the destruction of serious chemical weapons stockpile, and it was just was a lot of fun. Was that an internship? Or? Um, so. What had happened more specifically as there's a um, person, Dr. Olufemi Elias and I think he's one of the, the most absolute and the highest-level Nigerians and in international organization in the world. He at that point was the I think of the right word. Who at that point was the legal advisor for the organization on the provision of chemical weapons. And so what happened generally was that he had invited me to say, you know, you could this this is an opportunity. I've done all the applications and I joined. And What I loved about the team was a very small team and it was a lot of hands-on experience. In in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, the Hague. It was a lot of hands-on experience, doing a lot of structuring, doing a lot of... And it was really, it was a lot of fun. I understand how international international politics work, what they call real politics. And it was really good. And so it was just a build-up for me. I haven't done some. So it was a build-up of a background in international economic law, understanding. Now, in the end, countries care a lot about the international significance and all. As I went on, I, and I kept doing research work and adv- advisory work on economic development for countries and all that. I'd done a number of them. I also was presenting a number of papers at the AFLIN Conference, African Institute for International Law, a number of those kind of stuff. So I'd, I built quite an academic repute for, for that. Because what you find out with it is a lot of, pre- it's very predictive work. It's more, um, what the economy look like in the next 10 years? Well, what should we be doing now? So it's a lot of predictive modeling and all that. And so what happened afterwards was when the team was being set up, with the economic team, I was invited. You want to be a part of this, and and at that point, the question for me was simple: was yes, you get, you probably could get comfortable in the, in the Netherlands, and you probably could build an easy life in an international organization, but you don't get an opportunity every time in your life. To be part of crafting the policy for your country at that level, and I think that for me was the appeal was the was a massive appeal to and so it wasn't it wasn't it was a no brainer for me. Was it? it wasn't easy? Is,
1: to, is the economic team um, directly advising the president or the office of the vice president? So on?
0: the first thing you have to know is that the president has the power to delegate some powers um, to specific officers. Economic affairs to a great extent is delegated to the vice president because the vice president heads the economic management team. So to a great extent, economic policy is, is within the purview of the vice president's office. And so the economic team actually directly advised the entire president because that and the economic team is not just the vice president, it's actually made up of the vice president. There are a number of key ministers who are involved in the economic.
1: Is market. it similar to the economic team that was set up by President Obasanjo? So had, that is the same thing that continues. That's the same thing. That, that, continued. that had yeah. Mrs. Obi Um Nasira Rufa. So that
0: was more of a coordinating Coordinate, but what's happened is, yes, yeah, so Obasujo did set up an economic management team, and that's, and the president administration has continued that same tradition of just having a central clearinghouse for all economic decisions. So, people, people like Nigerian, the, the head of Nigerian Bureau of Statistics is, in, in part, of, is part of it, the Minister of Industry and Investment, the, the Minister of Finance, a number of people who play very active roles in the discourse about the Nigerian economic space actually in that room, because it's supposed to be the highest, um, Policy f- um, setting framework um, mechanism within the government for economic policy decision making,
1: and so you are invited to be part of that team. So there's so there is an economic team. Okay. Outside of
0: that, that's the economic management team. But the vice president himself has an economic team, which is headed by the uh, special advisor to the president, of economic affairs, Mr. Ambassador um, um, Yemi So I was invited to be part of that team, which does more of the substantive crunching. Um, these guys make decisions, but then there's a, a back end work that needs to be done. Within.
1: There is an operational part of it that needs to be exactly. done. Exactly, it's all a policy that needs to be so done. So what is your day to day role like?
0: That is that's interesting. Um, the day to day is as ammo force has the work that needs to be done so yes we've got a clear work plan right and we've got clear work streams and for us our clear work stream were in four major things one was business climate reforms and the second was trade and investment policy support with the, in condition of the ministry of trade investment just supporting their work the th- third part was trade and investment policy setting trade and investment policy more particularly right and the fourth part was stakeholder engagement just let me to engage with the key players in that field and all that there's a fifth part which we haven't really put forward was the national quality infrastructure but that has seemingly taken the back burner for a while because of we're trying to sort out a number of other foreign burner issues so that, that's what the work plan is supposed to look at and that is distilled into a clear action plan and as a day to day but of course because of the nature of economic affairs things are always going to throw up in every minute. so for instance you could find out you know what um the the cotton and textile industry is getting shortchanged what exactly is the problem or we're having a massive tomato shortage, or, we, we can't even take off on our domestic production of our tomatoes, or there's a rice production issue, or, or the automobile policy needs a review. So, there's a day to day thing that comes into your table that, yes, you could tie it into that work, but it's not particularly part of your work. Journey. You still have to sort it out there. And the vice president also runs an open office. What it means is that generally, if you write any letter to him, he actually clears it. So, what it means to a great extent is that letters, there are a number of letters that come from people saying, I'm querying this, I don't agree with this, and then it's so on to the deputy chief of staff, and then that has to be treated. So, there is okay,
1: wait, tell me about that. So I can write a letter to the vice president and say, I don't agree with this economic policy um, on so-so-and-so and and the vice president is going to... The the office will respond. Will respond to me as a citizen. 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 And that is a great shock. Sometimes it gets... (laughs) uh stress because you get a number
0: of documents from and it always gets minuteed on my deputy chief of staff this person and what happens when the document comes in it almost goes to the stream that's involved so some goes to industrial investment cluster some goes to the economic advisor, most and some, go, some goes to the rule of law advice so, so the number it just it's almost like a, a clockwork redistribution of work and so there's that part there's all the economic issues that come up that you have to advise on a day-to-day on a day-to-day and then there's a work stream and so what we try to do to manage all that is to have a clear work plan and then we have check in meetings regular every week just so that we're not dropping the ball on any of these things. So, and yeah, and we do a lot of um, work with the Ministry of Industry and Investment, the Minister, the Chief Trade Advisor to the Minister, and just helping support the work that's happening there also. The Minister of Industry and Investment in this case, yeah.
1: So you work directly with the Minister as well on? Um yes, with uh, so, yeah.
0: So what my cluster does to a great extent is act as that strong liaison between the so yes the just to ensure that the presidency and the ministry is on the same when the same speed dial on everything uh, on every and but of course a great chunk of implementation work would lie with the ministry because it's implementing them of government. But yeah, but there's that there's a strong nexus between the work that is on, on both sides.
1: So tell me about what you're currently doing now with regards to the ease of doing business. And I think that's very interesting to most people that will be listening to this workers and people in this room now listening to it live, which is What are the policy frameworks that you're putting in place or that you envision your work will help with with regards to helping entrepreneurs to start and run their business in Nigeria? Um, We all know, we all agree that starting a business in Africa or in Nigeria is hard. And part of the things that you're trying to do is to reduce that barrier of entry. So can you tell me in in, a more clear terms, what are the key policy frameworks that you're putting in place and the reform the government is doing now and the changes that we'll be expecting to see happen with regards to doing and running business?
0: All right. Thank you very much, Dotson. So uh, before I answer any of those questions. I'd just like to do something very comical if you, you could all grab your phones and just let's just do a math together, right and maybe that'll give you the, the sense of why this is a very important conversation. So the way it works is anybody shouts oil money, and everybody talks about it a lot, right? So let's imagine the oil companies don't take out any because the, the way it works is it's usually it's a joint it's a profit sharing contract. so the oil company takes a great part of some part of the profit and also nets of their expenses. but let us imagine they don't take it. So at best, the interest production capacity is 2.2 million barrels per liter, right? So let's do that 2.2. You multiply it by fifty dollars, which is the highest at recent time. So let's put it by fifty dollars. That's
1: so two point two million barrels per day, not per, per day. Yeah, per day, That's per day.
0: Okay, times okay, fifty dollars. That's okay. about one hundred ten. One hundred ten million million, right? Million. Multiply by three hundred sixty-five days, right? That's this That's 4. 4, tri- 4, tri- 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 four trillion. Four trillion divided by an interest population, which is about one eighty million people now. So that brings us to 223 now. So everybody deserves 223 dollars a year from the government, if you were going to just split that money. Let's do that and then divide that by 12 months. So let's multiply by what is the Naira today? 380? So what it means is that actually every month, all the government, if you were to say, we got all the oil money and just split it among everybody, all the government would owe you is 7,000 Naira per month. So what that means to a great extent is, the place of oil in our economy is overstated to a great extent, in the sense that oil won't take us to the promised land. And we all have to face that reality as it stands. That's just seven thousand naira. What, like seven thousand naira, is your pizza that most of you have in a day, and that's the end of the month.
1: Okay. Before we go on, can I stop you a bit there? That yes, that match looks uh, legit and good, but then we've all seen the disproportionate distribution of that all money to a very, very small percentage of so, so people.
0: And I agree with you. So Nigeria, for instance, needs I think about three hundred billion over the next few years to just catch up in the structure-wise with South Africa. So the truth of the matter is, in the scheme of things, even all that money will not do much good. And that's why for the government, ease of doing business reform was a massive legacy project. Because for them, it's a, listen, if we're ever going to take off as an economy, it's not just oil. It's that the entire economy must take off. By that, the SMEs must. And so the entire of the business project is actually targeted more as the SMEs, not even particularly the big businesses that already have access to government, but the small and medium enterprises, the tech premiums, you know, just ensuring that these guys can take up automatically. We started this work at the beginning of 2016. A number of we were scoping, you know, just finding out what exactly it is, what's, what can we do in the quick what can we do in the short-term, what can we do in the medium-term. And then what had happened next was that around quarter four of 2016, the president approved what the Presidential Enabling Business Environment Council and its secretariat, which is the Enabling Business Environment Secretariat. And the cost there, the the game plan was this, to progressively and sustainably make Nigeria an easier place to do business. That's that's all it was. And the idea was, we've got this reputation, and it's both reputation and reality, in the sense that we just see that it's hard to do business in Nigeria. So the question is, what can we do in the short term to just make it easier to do business in Nigeria? And so what we had done first was what we had called quick wins. What can we do in the shortest possible time? The reason was two things. One was, one is let's get a conversation started on this. But two also is you find that the change and reform is a momentum. If you gain a momentum on it, it's easier to push harder reforms. So around February 21 of this year, the, there's an expanded meeting of that council where the National Assembly leadership, the Senate President, the Speaker, we joined that meeting. And then there was a launch of what we call the National Action Plan, the 60-Day Action Plan, which purpose was just to deal out what could be done in the quick win in seven reform areas, starting a business, paying taxes, um, dealing with shop permits, registering property, getting credit, getting electricity, and entering uh, and exiting people. And that's seven of them. And what happened after that was we did that quick win and just pursued a, it was more like a sprint, a sprint to get some short-term things done in that period of time. And a lot of things were done, for instance, CAC, for instance, now there's a CAC portal. You can do start to finish registration online with CAC portal. And That's a corporate the affairs Corporate Affairs commission. commission. Even downtime, one of the things we did was we had them collocate their servers from actually their in-house servers to actually main one servers. So now the CAC is actually hosted on the main one server. Just to show that there's 99% uptime. And one of the things we did was it's not just you'd start a process and go off. You can, it's a, start to finish digitized process. It's next, next step. All your documents you have to do is scan and upload them. And the idea is that you can get it in 24 hours. Because the idea is you can't get people to move from the informal sector to the formal sector. Except there is a system of, and I'm thinking of the right words now, except there's a system where I can easily register my company.
1: Okay, so is the gap that, because I know Nigerians are very entrepreneurial, that's, that's one of the first things that you see when you come to Nigeria. So is the gap that there are lots of people who are doing informal business and you want to move them to the formal sector so that they can have a footprint in the economy. So that's the
0: first part of it, right? Because okay. all our maths is actually more of the formal sector, not right. very few, but that's part of it. But the idea is... And you think like, that it's a big black hole that you couldn't capture? Well, that's true, but if you're honest, it's even, even more simplistic. Whenever you come to an idea... Whenever you come to a new idea of doing something, it's, it's almost endorphin. It's a part of their brain. One of the first things you want to do is to say, you know what? Let me own it and give it a name. That's one of the first things you want to do. Create a structure for it. And one of the easiest ways to do that is just start up, start a company. And truth is, and there's actually strong correlation between the fact that countries that where it's easier to start a business, there are actually more entrepreneurial activities in those countries. So the idea is, once the idea comes to me, I should be able to just sit on my laptop wherever I am, set up my
1: computer, and just
0: register the company. With that much ease.
1: Okay. So so that's so that's one of it. That's the that's part of it. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Other and the one also, we said,
1: and the other part of it is to be able to actually validate your business idea exactly quickly, exactly. and then know whether it's working or not and, without and, be, before registering it.
0: Definitely. And the third part also is also the fact that to a great extent, for most, for, and, and I, my background is is in law, and I do a lot of work with legal tech startups. What you find out also is that we've bled a lot in recent time. With tech startups that have taken off, and because we're set up in the US, all the tax liabilities go to the US. That's one. But beyond even that, in the more clearer term is also the fact that when you think of it in, in any sense of the word, to interact with people, for them to trust me, it's always best if I'm dealing with a company rather than an individual. So there's all that conversation for entrepreneurs. And there's also the paying taxes reform, things that now you can file your taxes online, on the e-planned past. For instance, one thing you should know is the, the stampduties.gov.ng where you can actually pay any of your stamp duties by just logging on the stamp duties of government ng, pick up what you want to pay tax and pay right there and there with your card. So it's number of those things just making life easier for you. So another thing that we had also done was with registering proper and construction permit in Lagos, where there's now an in-planning platform, the Lagos epp.com.ng, where you can pretty much upload all your construction permit application documents and track it online. Right. Uh, upload what? Okay. For, for apply for construction permit in Lagos. Okay. So we worked also with Lagos State government right? and I'll give them kudos for that. Platform is now live, the Lagos um, epp.com.ng. Where you uh, so
1: they're piloting that in Lagos. You, well, it's not so you
0: realize that it's a federal structure, so states have to push down reform. So we worked with Lagos specifically, getting them to take some of this because a great chunk of commercial activities happens in Lagos, whether you want it or not. So far now what they said is now they're no longer taking manual applications anymore. All the applications have to be online. So if you're applying for construction permit in Lagos, the idea is you should do it online go lagos.com um, and you upload all your documents and apply and track so we also did some work with registration property eliminating the issues we need for sworn affidavit so then generally when you want to search for any land title you have to go to get sworn affidavit the question is what do i need a sworn affidavit for so we eliminated that so the number of things we've done a great part also with entry and exit of people the operationalizing the visa and arrival process where now there's an email address you you do your application document scan it and within 12 hours you're to get you'll get a response for a visa on arrival
1: to get a visa, visa a uh, yeah, so sure. l- 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 let's let's pass a bit on that because that is close to home for me whenever I'm, I'm organizing conference and I'm trying to get speakers to Nigeria one of the most difficult bits is getting a visa it's hard to get visa to come to Nigeria and what you're doing is that easing that up definitely so what is done basically is created a timeline period because one of the
0: issues used to be timelines. I wouldn't get a response. I wouldn't know whether my visa was approved or not. As what we've done is, is a dedicated email address. And it's on the immigration.gov.ng. Just search for visa and arrival. All the process is actually detailed out there. What you do is you your application for a visa, you send it to them, and they respond within 12 hours with an approval letter. And with that approval letter, you pay the fees that need to be paid. And then you just come straight to the country, basically. And in fact, just yesterday, I, I know about six, seven, eight foreign investors, venture capitalists that actually flew into the country using this process. So it's,
1: is that bypassing some of the logjam that you have in the Nigerian embassies all across the world? De- well, definitely. Of course, there are two systems to
0: it. You can actually do the good old-fashioned visa process, which we also worked on with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, because now what we've done is there's been a secular issue from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, creating a timeline within which they must respond to visa applications. But, you know, beyond applying for visas through your embassies abroad, you could also just get apply for visa on arrival. Actually, in the clearest terms, in legal terms, actually called a prioritization visa because it's not really I just climb on the plane and I land here. It's that I ask for authorization to actually get a visa when I arrive. So basically, so there's all that also being done. And as once you arrive, you just show them your document, they take you to the visa office to get a visa and you leave almost immediately. So there's all that also being done. And so you notice, if you go to the Abuja airport, you see that there are a lot of labelings, your your wings are here. This so just even giving information where necessary. So the idea is just make the travel experience better for people generally. So we've also done something with goods issues like palletization of goods because one of the problems that used to happen with goods in the past was I'm shipping things down but they come in a container. I even just throws everything in the container in it's truck and it's hard to even do any inspection when those come. So the idea is that. There's been a secular pass that says you must palletize your goods, meaning you must put them in pallets when you bring them out to the country. We cut down the documentation for import and exports on um, both sides, so we eliminated some things that we were not, we didn't think were necessary anymore. I think we cut down one from ten to seven. We cut down one from like seven to five. So all that has also been done, and those were all the things achieved within that sixty-day action plan. Those the
1: sixty-day are- action plan actually reduces those uh, barriers that. Yeah. So, are all the things I've mentioned before. are all
0: okay. detailed in that. It, are all the things we, I, and what we try to do is create an accountability system in the sense that we understand that people are very cynical about government generally. So, what we try to do more specifically is say, you know what, this is what we're committing to do. Midterm, so like at the medium of society in February and March 21, we issued another the information always in infographics so people could relate quickly to it. At the 21st mark, day mark, we put out a March 21st mark. We said, this is what we've done. Look at it. This is what is still pending. At every 21, we issued out saying, this is all we've done. This was what was pending. I think we scored 70%. So not everything we wanted to do. We couldn't do everything. So, like for instance, it was just yesterday that the credit bureau, for, for getting credit, the bills were passed, the credit reporting, those were some things we were working on. The credit reporting um, bill... And the uh, collateral registry bill were both um, passed and signed. So those are some things we're trying to push in that time period also. But thing is, it's not everything was done, but we're honest about it. Because the idea is is to have a transparent system of saying, you know what, this is what we're committing to do. This is what we've done in that period of time. Now, after that time period, a great part of what has also happened is trying to get some serious, deepening those reforms and getting the people issues resolved. So things like the executive order that was issued by the acting president and all the details. That, and I, I think I've shared some of those documentation around three strong, Pillars of it or four strong pillars of it. The first is about the issue of the default approval. The idea that going uh or let me first start with the what's probably best background, the transparency, which should actually also been doing before with just 31 specific business MDAs, but now we're, we're broadening it down to every MDN to the idea of transparency that in your website you must publish a complete list of all the fees, the timelines, the procedure for any service you provide to the public on your website. I shouldn't have to call my friend to ask him what requirements I should be on the website, and it also pasted in your premises. And when there's a divergence between that, what is on your website takes precedence and so based on that what we also said was a second thing called default approval meaning in that timeline you've committed to the public that you would deliver services
1: does that cut across every civil service every federal mda today yes. what, what is mda ministry
0: departments and agencies every okay. federal ministry department and agencies right
1: so it through. means that if i go to um, a vehicle licensing office and they said that i need to bring four documents to line to it should vo- be on their website it should be on their website and if it's on their website they cannot tell me something different? Yeah, exactly. They can't tell you anything. This is the kind of conversation I had with you off-camera, which is there is a culture, and I think a lot of people agree with this, that there is a culture in the civil service that doesn't look like they're serving you, that you have to almost beg the civil service or uh, someone who works for the government to do what they were supposed to do. And then you're saying this now. How does that culture change? How does what you've written in the executive order change that? So first things first is... The acting president is not a man for fluff,
0: right? So one of the things that has been tied into all this conversation is actually, in fact, I was coming now from actually a workshop where we had all directors, assistant directors and deputy directors of all federal MDAs in the room. And we're just taking time to the executive step by step and what it means for them. So there's a clear training. And the acting president had one with all the head of agencies. We've had another one with permanent secretaries and CEOs of parastatals. So idea is a trickle down graduate. And we we'll also have one with with civil servants between a kid of 10 to, I think, 8 to 15 or something. So there's a clear detail and we're working on that. The acting secretary of government of the federation and the head of the But But that's top down to yeah, yeah.
1: me. No, no, not really top down, because we're meeting eight level like eight is as low as it gets. So not, you know. No, I'm, what I'm thinking, isn't there a place for actually having a culture? I don't know how to describe it well, but you know, when you have a big company that wants to change their culture and left for them to be nimble and fast, they normally maybe sometimes maybe acquire a startup or get somebody who will come in and be the cultural champion to say, This is the value, this is how we should be doing things now. And don't you think that is necessary in the governance, especially in the civil service, to say this is how you don't allow people to wait on the line, and we're on the phone to your friend talking while a lot of people are just there because you are their boss, and you feel like you're their boss, and then you change that culture over time with these cultural champions. So I'll say
0: two things, right, and I'll say them. I'll tell a story and then I'll say something. And well, in fact, let me say what I want to say first. The acting president, Professor I just say something very clearly, which I love. He says we've got to get over the fact that Nigeria is not different. Nigeria is not special. We tend to feel like we're such a special country that the same rules don't apply to us. A great number of times, why something's things and being is what they call lack of consequence management. There is no consequence for your action. You know you can get away with it, so you do it. That's the first thing. The second thing is I think we underestimate the power of the civil service. right? And I'll tell you a story. This document you'll have in you and then for graphic document, we sent it to the head of service. So we needed it the next day at 9 a.m. We sent the as service 8 p.m. that day. By the next morning, over 5,000 copies of these copy documents were printed and stapled and bound and ready. That is how fast the civil service can be when it wants to be. And you'll be surprised how many educated people, the civil servants that have double PhDs. So let's not overly generalize and act like these guys don't all know what they're doing. But this, this is the issue. The issue a number of times is being able to put clear responsibilities for people. But beyond even clear responsibilities, also being able to monitor the work they should do. And beyond that, also is the whole role of having consequence. And so, yeah, if you read all the other executive order, you say there's a clear consequence for everything. It's a gross misconduct. If you don't do this, and everything has a teeth. One thing you find out generally is, when you push people to responsibility, they start to realize what they don't need and what they need. So, for instance, if an approval says that whatever you publish in your website that you must do, you will do. If you tell me you will provide this service in this period of time, by the end of that time period, you must have provided it. If you don't, if I don't get it, it is deemed as an approval. So, if I apply for a license, if you say I'm going to give in 21 days, and 21 days you don't respond to me is as an approval and i can apply to your minister for him to give me that approval document now what that does is you're only giving tits to because i've applied to the ngs they didn't respond to me so i'm applying to the supervising minister and i for a license and then it also comes at gross misconduct where so you wouldn't do the work so is there's a number of those tits system and what we're trying to do now is operationalize that in get them to understand what these things mean because if you're going to give a man work to do you must say he must understand in the clearest of them what it is you're asking him to do so and a number of those things are not, it's not a five-session, mini-session. It's spending time with them, understanding what their concerns are. But beyond that also, is detailing what the requirements are. What you'll find out over time is, and a great number of what this executive order is doing is moving the burden from the citizens to the government. Government has a response. So, a of the executive orders are very interesting to one government principle, meaning that going forward, a document that this government has in its custody, I should not have to privacy to prove it. So, for instance, if I say I've registered a company, all I have to do is give you my IRC number for the copy of my document. You should go verify whether it's a real company or not. Because in my mind, I'm it is one government. I shouldn't have to care of whether it's a CAC or an
1: FIRS. For me, it's one. And so they general. But, but that's more to do uh, a lot of back-end interoperability yes, ex- between the government. Exactly. And so in the, order it, for them to do exactly. that. Because so even just, in the UK, very advanced civil service and very advanced government in terms of operation, there is a lot of disjointed. departments department but, not but even talking is, to each other. I
0: agree. But the thing here is moving where the boarding lies right? And that and that ties back to what you're saying. In a sense, it does. And I feel that there's a massive disconnect sometimes between people realizing what really is the government. That's a strong conversation, right? And the government in the strongest of term in the end is the civil service. Because truth of matter is, ministerial appointees will go and come, right? The guys that are always a world well, institutional member in the end is the civil service. But beyond that, it's even this. If you take a ministry, for instance, let's say a minister comes and heads a ministry. He probably comes with some of his special assistants. Max 10, 20 of them. The the matter is, compared to the entire gamut of civil servants in that ministry, because when you say with the, with the government, you're talking about that ministry in that regard, right? The minister and all his, which are the political elites properly, are just a very small fraction of that entire ministry. But then, when you speak to that same civil servant, who is the director in that ministry, you ask him, and he says, our oh, government has not done this. But the question is, you are that government because you're the one who has to do that license. I, as an individual, when I, as a civil servant, stops a documentation from going through, what I do to a great extent is I, I stagnate the economy because a business that needs a license to grow can't use the business license. The interest rate rises on it. And so they probably would fold up. And the people they will have employed in the economy don't get employed. So it's a ripple effect. And so it's helping them realize that the role they play in, in, in ensuring that the, the Nigerian environment is an easier, nibbler um, business environment mm-hmm. is a role. Is, is some of what their personalization is. So for instance, one of the things that we've asked them to do now is said And we're walking we're through all of them, service-level agreements of saying, this is a service I'm saying I'm going to deliver to, to the people and this is how I'll get it done. This is what I'll put on my website. So just walking through them Because truth is, it's not for a lack of... Skilled people. It's for lack of not having a system over this time where we have monitored what needs to be which done. Which starts no? from which starts from the government. The government has
1: to set the tone and what is the government and the think, vision. And no, 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 I'm, no, no. I understand your your argument about who is the government. Yeah. We are the government, but there is the elected government who set the vision. Yeah, and, and the vision and left. the tone and also the pace for doing that, which is one of the things you are doing exactly And right. and, 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 the, and don't don't forget that the acting president is hands on about this
0: okay. in the sense that. We The council, and I should say that the council, the Energy Business Environment Council is made up of 10 ministers. The, the active president is the chair. The vice chair is the Minister of Industrial and Investment. The CBN governor is the head of services there. Acting SGF is there. There's a representative from National Assembly. There's a representative from Lagos and Cano. So, like, it's everybody, a private sector is represented in the room. And the idea is this council meets every month. But beyond that, is the secretary has daily meetings with all the MDAs, like daily, twice a week with every MDA. So it's not a it's not a pie in the sky. It's systemic working through to get to where we want to be. And because all these things I've said for me is, and I was, as I was telling you before, I care about three major things. Right. One of the first part of what I care about is is the whole walk along, ensuring that we're a competitive economy, like using trade and investment more specifically to ensure that. any country can take off, right? But the second part of it is more specifically tech startup work, supporting what tech startups can do and, and then the third part is transactions. But the thing is, what you find out is a great number of all these things we're saying is just even ensuring that when we get to the point where we want to start exporting ourselves to our goods, that we've got competitive enough industries. Because truth is, yeah, we say we have cheap labor costs, but truth is, if it's expensive for me to take my business off, It's expensive. If licenses making it impossible for me to even take off, no matter the investment policy or the trade, impo- trade policy you do, there's no one that will plug into all those access to markets that you're trying to forge. And so that is one of the great parts of what the ease of the business is. He's saying, listen, SMEs, we care a lot about It's Communicating clearly, SMEs, we care about you, but listen, civil servants, um, government, will commit and not make itself an ambassador to business, but make itself a partner to ensuring that business can thrive and take off.
1: So let's pick up on the ease of doing business, especially for tech startup entrepreneurs. Uh, because uh, you mentioned the other time, places like uh, Mauritius and, um, and Delaware has been known as a place where you can easily set up a startup. They have a very good program that will enable startups to register and be tax efficient from day one. Um is there anything you're doing or that your department or your, your team is doing to help in that regard with, with this executive order? All right. So, um,
0: so um I'll, I'll, I'll speak very clearly. And I, and I think a great part of it is what I already detailed out. The reforms within the Corporate Affairs Commission, uh, more specifically about ensuring that any tech startup in any part of one can actually register a company from start to finish online within 24 hours. Uh, and to operationalize and, and show our commitment is the fact that it's now hosted on the main one server so that it's about 99% uptime at every time we can and that's one. The second bit of it is more specifically our work around, around what they call the smart digital policy in a sense and the Ministry of Just Investment is doing a lot of work about that but there is a strong recognition of the fact that the future is in services right? It's, it's greatly beyond and, and culture is amazing but the truth is the future lies a lot in businesses that can leverage on the global space. And one of our strongest strengths as as is, is our is our people in the sense that we're talking about 180 million people, about 3.6% of them if I'm correct, is actually within the, it's called the young people, right? So the idea is that there's such a nimble force and there's such a young agile population strength compared to most countries. And so a great part of that work is after we've done all the work of making it easier for you to do business, which we're committed to in the short term, in the medium term, and in the long term, we're doing plans every day. And some of the things we're beginning to launch and something called Trading Within Nigeria, where we're just focusing on even intra Nigerian trade. So things like the problems you face in getting your goods around in Nigeria, just trading in Nigeria, so the police, the customs, checkpoints, you know, just for business people. Just So that's just some of the things, If I we put out a survey already about last week, uh, just getting people to validate. So say, tell us, for example, what's your biggest challenge in trading within Nigeria so that we, we can target our intervention?
1: Let's pick up on that before, before you go on. Okay. Yeah. Because that, that actually, um, again, is very, very key. So one of the, uh, one of my guests in this show, uh, is, um, Tayo Bamiduro, who runs Max.ng in Lagos, which is a hyper-local logistic platform that enables you to take goods from one part of Lagos to another. Uh, so you can order within an hour. And one of the things he said was the challenge they faced at the beginning was so much license payment that their riders have to pay and go through moving goods uh, in Lagos. And I used to run a startup that is like that in the UK. There's no point that I have to think about the barrier of transporting uh, start from one part of Bristol to another when I was leadi- when I was running that. Now he had to deal with that. So what you're talking about now um, I know we talked a lot about the ease of doing business and registration online. What are you going to do with regards to the, the police the the area boys that made it very very difficult for people to actually transport yeah, goods and services Let me
0: jump in and, and clarify right That it's even bigger than just the police and the area boys there's the work of customs there's the work of NAFTA, there's the work okay. of the standard Okay. So, there's a great gamut of people who, affect, who who have a strong impact on trading within Nigeria. Where at the early stages where we recognize that's a problem, we're scoping what that involves. Because the truth of the matter is, what you find out generally is that sometimes problems are incipient. It's, it's bigger than what it looks, look, looks like on the surface, right? And so, so what we're doing now is, and, and I encourage everybody here to to get the Soviet and feed on it, but the idea is just to even get the data. What's the data saying in the sense that we're doing strong analytics behind it, just trying to understand the problem in itself. Because um, it's not a new problem in the sense that it's a problem we're aware of, but the question is, what's the real Nature of that problem in the sense that why is it so difficult to trade even within Nigeria? Because we're one country; it's not even another country. Now we're just talking within Nigeria, getting my goods from just Lagos to Kano.
1: So you're just looking at the problem now. No, no. So it's not. It's, it's not really I, looking is not the word. It's called scoping the problem. You're scoping but the problem. Have, so you're not. You're not coming with any solutions yet. No, we
0: have. We've got, we've, got, we've got a number of things in our Kitty, of, okay. of what we think are the answers or, or what are the responses. But what you find out is that you must be careful not to mix up causation and symptom, right? Because that happens a lot when you're trying to do interventions because the cost of something is not always a symptom of something and so a good amount of time what you want to do is you want to see where the data leads first before you start and don't forget it's a federal city. you could issue directive you could act tan- sanctions to them and and but what what i found out about the most is a monetary me- mechanism so one of the things we wrote out this month also is the akata where we were trying to build an app and the purpose of that app is basic the purpose of that app is to allow you port and monitor government reforms on ease of doing business mm-hmm. and what that does for you is this it helps it pretty much outsources monitoring. Because what the idea here is that no matter how strong the team wants to be, the team can be everywhere and in enjoy the time. But what it does for you is it helps you um, monitor and outsource all the, the reforms going on. So wherever in the country you are, you can easily say, you know what, I will face this checkpoint today. There's a checkpoint on this place. And it allows us target interventions. Because the truth of the matter is, it's easier to target interventions when there's a lot of it. So for instance, imagine at the back of analytics of it, we say on Monday, there were 350 people that reported that, there's a checkpoint on this on a on a road or something. It's easy to then discuss with because there's a complete unit for the police. A number of things. It's easy to then call the R G and say, "There's a checkpoint here. Why?" You can, so it's a data driven intervention. It's not just pie in the sky. It's not because, the truth is you've, you've got to be very deliberate about your interventions. You can't just throw your. You know, Paul will say, "I'm not the man that fights like I'm punching in the air." You must be very deliberate in your in your intervention. And that's so. What we're trying to do is ensure that the intervention is data driven. Interventions are very specific. And so, and when the hub goes up, I invite people to participate, you know. Because, truth is, what we find out generally with all the reforms is that. Except people are trying out the system. And the truth is, some of these systems will have teething issues. Because, for, for instance, there's internet penetration issues. There's adoption of technology issues. are a number of issues we'll have at the, at the early stage of teething issues. But what you find out is technology, throwing you know, technology at this is not even the answer every time. Because if you throw technology as a very complicated problem, it only gets more complicated. So the idea generally is simplify the issue, find out the root cause, and then deploy technology where necessary. But a great part of it is also getting private sector feedback, um, entrepreneurial feedback, just getting you to say, you know what? I, this is the problem I'm facing. And we try to... We're active on social media, Twitter, Instagram. And one thing we try to do a number of times is when people flag flag up complaints with their entry or visa and arrival issues, we don't treat those issues as a one-off issue. We treat it systemically. So if you tell me, oh, my brother has got problems with his passports, or my brother has got problems with the visa and arrival, or I try to register... We don't say... We don't say okay, CSC treats this issue. The question is CSC, why is this an issue? Do you get my point? And so we we'll treat the systemic problem that comes with it. Yeah,
1: yeah okay. Let me pick you up on that communication. Are you communicating this enough? And what are the channels and ways in which you're communicating that to the citizens to know everything you're just talking about now? Because a lot of people, when they're listening to and say, Wow, these are good things that you're talking about. How do we know? How do we how do you empower the citizens to know about what to do and how to go about it and also how to question. And the process. So, so, so I'll tell you this, that we're
0: very committed to communication in the sense that we actually have a clear communication team with a communication lead that just drives that communication process, right? And that's one of the reasons why you're all head of ease of doing business. And that's my point. The point is one of the things we're trying to do is communicate through several mediums. So we have got, we're active on Twitter. You should, at Ibiza Nigeria, we're very active on Twitter. I also, when people tag me on Twitter, or on any of the show, I try to respond to it and all, but we actually have a very active social media on, on Twitter, on Instagram, Facebook. But beyond even that is one of the things we also try to do is we have got a website. And we were on TV a lot. And the idea is to push the MDAs. The idea is that in there's no country in the world where there's a there is a system for enforcing this thing. The MDAs, the ministries themselves, and the department NGOs have to come to leadership. So what we do a number of times is push them to leadership on this issue. We help them with their reforms. We we'll push them. To so we get them to also be on TV to do jingles where necessary. We're on radio a lot. We're, and and we, we've got the we've got a clear communication plan. We've done a number of um, newspaper editorials and all that. We've done short videos things that have been done. It's So there were a number of things we're doing. Um, just putting the information out there. We're on TV a lot. They spelled Dr. Jim McHale what is on TV a lot. Channels, AIT, TV, whatever it is, we're on TV a lot. I'm pushing
1: the message I'm pushing as the much message as, 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 as possible. Because the truth
0: is, for us is this, and, we, and this is where we stand from. We, the idea is, no matter the reforms you do, if people don't know of it, you could as well not have done it. Because the truth is, if I say that now you can register a company from start to finish online, and you don't use it, we could as well just have put it down. So the idea is, for us, it's a big deal. And in fact, the more people climb on the platform, the more you test run that pro platform. Because at times when when everybody comes on the platform will probably crash because it wasn't planned for that. And then it's a good problem because yes, we because for us it's not just a quick fix; it's a sustainable fix. So there is yes, okay, it happened. You said that okay. Now this, this thing crashed. Why did it crash? And that's for instance one reason why we collocated the server. And then we also meet to associations. association. So the MBA section of business law of the MBA for lawyers, we do a lot of work also with with Koren, with so um, which is the engineers, so architects. There. So we do it. so there's also that professional bodies clusters that we reach out to a lot, uh, and, and all that. And, and in fact, one of the back reasons for doing an hackathon is again just outsourcing and up. Was to get young techie community also involved in that conversation generally. So, so it's it's, it's not a new thing. It's a it's by the way we, we think communication is important. Definitely priority. to have a communications lead who takes lead on that. But beyond that also is that we're always on everyone. and that's why you notice all our documentation is actually infographics. We don't just write dense prose. We I, we've never actually put out any dense prose. It's always infographics, so that you can pick it up and in a quick span you can understand all there is to it. You can understand what what it's asking you to do to try the process and all that.
1: Yeah. Okay, that's, that's very good. I've got one of a few questions to ask before we end this uh, recording part of the uh, show. Um, and this particular question is about one of the biggest concerns and one of the biggest barriers for doing business in Nigeria, from our own data, has less to do with some of this bureaucratic thing. Maybe because people have are used to the bureaucratic lockjam of doing business, of registering and stuff. I think one of the biggest challenges is funding if you ask most entrepreneurs, is access to finance. I, I know that might not sit in the remit of what you're doing, but how does ease of business um, address that?
0: So, so I'd say one of the things, one of our indicators that reform areas are working on is called getting credit, which is what you just talked about. And that's one of the reasons why the collateral registry bill was. One of the things it's supposed to do is allow you use your movable assets to actually get credit from the banks. right? Because, because the truth is, one of the reasons why it's hard to get loans is because... Of um, what they call um, follow up. Like, I can't, how do I ensure you pay the loan? If you don't pay the loan and vanish, how do I follow up with you? So, a great chunk of, gov- of bank costs is actually recovery, trying to recover their loans and all that. So, the more data, the more credit history you have, and that's one of the things that does. It creates a debt credit history for you. Well, a lot of what that does for you is allows, it ensures that you're more attractive for loans generally. But let me also jump in and say this, right? That what you find out with reality is is that sometimes loans are not even and I use the tech startup space where I've played in for a bit and even transactions, what I find in general is that if you prove the numbers, the business numbers, usually money will come because there are a number of people who have a lot of funds that want to invest when necessary. But beyond that also is the fact that, so there's a very popular saying that I believe strongly that when you get too much cash, starting a startup what happens is that you stop looking for the most efficient means to have new customers because it's not about adding customers i could say i'm selling this product and i'm even going to give you money if you take my product of course i'll get a lot of customers but that's not the most efficient way to get new customers and i can speak for several tech startups that i've done legal work for where all i did in the end was they got some major grants somewhere and then they said we're not doing it again it's that fight and then all i did was have to, all we had to do was structure out to dissolve the company and everybody goes away with the money that's an efficient use of money so, Julius this is so money always isn't the problem a number of times it's been and I can name several taxes that I know to Terry. a number of them who didn't have as much funds fund plus who didn't have as much funds when they started up but the idea was being able to bootstrap where necessary being able to um, test the idea in the most scalable fashion so the idea is keep scaling bootstrap keep scaling so Yes, I agree that funding might be an issue, and I'll tell you where I think funding is an issue. It's not even in loans, particularly as much as the interest rate. The interest rate is rather high. And one of the things the government is trying to do about that is that we're trying to borrow outside the system because government lending sets the benchmark. If government lending rate is high. Of course, the subprime lending rates will be high. But that's all different countries. But I'm saying, but generally, a bigger issue isn't even really in the funding, particularly. You must be careful to ensure that it's not just that business strives or is alive, it's that the business is competitive. And that's something I wish I talked about more. The whole issue of the more work we're doing with the Office of Trade Negotiation and the whole work, work we're doing about just ensuring that we can actually start to strengthen Nigeria's trade and market access for goods and services of, of Nigerian um, origin. So, And for us to play in that field, we must be competitive. So we're having one of the issues with rice now. Yes, we're producing rice already, but the thing is, our local rice is more expensive than foreign rice. And I agree, a great number of them is because foreign governments subsidize their rice farmers. But the truth is, even beyond that, is that we must get to a point where our rice production or even all our goods production services so, for instance, if you're you're doing a tech startup, whatever it is, that it is competitive in the long term against a global competitor. The more that we we want you to start to export your services and your goods, the more you will be able to play in the global space.
1: But how you do that is making it easy for me as a startup founder to get access to finance or making the resources cheaper for me. Because one of the Biggest challenge as well is that the resources that they need, I mean, the the infrastructure that they need to run the business is too expensive.
0: But I don't, I don't quite agree, and I'll say it, and I'll say it in the clearest of terms, right? And I've lived in Nigeria, and I've lived abroad, right? The truth is, labor cost in Nigeria is one of the cheapest in the world. So no, no, no labor, not just labor. No, I'm, I'm, going to, I, I, I'm, I'm going to touch on each of them. Labor yeah. cost in Nigeria is one of the cheapest in the world. So that is that, right? A tech outfit that I do, do something about an advise to just move some of their services from a Polish company. Polish programmer to a Nigerian programmer. And even with the Nigerian program, which is actually very expensive for them in the sense of what it is, still, it's just one of what a Polish programmer is going to ask for, right? So that's one. Power. And we all shout power, power. But what the truth of the matter is, when you compare utility bills abroad to utility bills in Nigeria, the truth of the matter is, utility bills in Nigeria are actually cheaper. Take any, the power bills of, of utility bills of those that live abroad, their, their power bills is actually a lot higher than what we we'll pay for power here in Nigeria. But of course, there's an the issue of reliability of power and all that, which are a different conversation. But my issue is this that what you find a number of times is that, and most top businessmen will tell you that, they'll tell you that the real issue a number of times is that the idea itself, the monetization of the business itself, its income stream must be sustainable in the long term. It's a problem most entrepreneurs fall into, where I've got such a great span of idea, And because I've got such a great span of idea, I'm not going through the feasibility numbers. I'm not going through what the structures are. Because truth of matter is, even within that numbers, even within the economy space, whatever the high cost and low cost is, you must figure out a way to ensure your monetization works. Uh, no, no, you're but, talking about
1: unit economics here, yeah. but but that's not, I, I think I would disagree with you that the cost of doing business in Nigeria is not that expensive no, not compared to 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 the abroad. I'm not, uh, I'm not saying it's not that expensive, I'm saying but if, we have a number of components that are way cheaper here. Yeah, 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 yeah that's what like think. labor, but yeah. infrastructure is still more expensive. Yeah,
0: different, but the question is...
1: Like the electricity the truck is, truck is the biggest to, one. Yeah, but the, and, and the access to the internet. So I run business okay. both in the UK and yeah. Nigeria, and I can tell you that it is very expensive, especially with regards to data for the internet, which you pay a lot and you get crappy um, stuff. That's number one. Number two, electricity but, 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 but is time just time, hard.
0: Data for the internet. Now, apart from fiber optic future channels, which, of course, we've got to deep in the question is to a great extent, the number of that is is already is prioritized. The government doesn't supply interest, they have internet to you. Yes. So, so, yes.
1: Let, so let's face that. Moment. No, no, the, the, the issue is not about talking about the government. It's not about or oh, the government is doing something wrong. And uh, we're not stoning the government no, no, here. No, I'm just we're just saying that one of the biggest challenge to to the ease of doing business in Nigeria is yeah. some of those Logistics, some of this bureaucratic inf- um, logjam that you're solving, which is the responsibility of the government, fine. We also talk about the finance, which sometimes it's not even the government having to g- give you the finance, but just creating a framework that makes it easy for you to have access to finance. But the other issue is about infrastructure, which is expensive for a lot of... So, for example, here yesterday, I mean, where we're doing this podcast, they've been on generator for... For hours, and it's costing them a lot of money to do that. Now, you may say, okay, it's cheaper per unit compared to the UK, but in the UK, it's just, it's expensive.
0: So, so I'm, I'm an agree, and I might agree, and I wouldn't go into the past sector reform work, okay. because that's, that is a longer conversation. It's an issue of what the cost, whether the cost of lefty tariff is and all that. That which is a different commercial and there's a reform on that and that, 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 that's Mr. Power's work. And I, I consciously will not talk about it for the fact that I'm not clear. I'm not the official spokesperson on that issue. But the issue is this, which is where I'm coming from. My issue is, I agree with you that the number of infrastructure are high. But I also say mm. a number of them are offset by the fact that a number of our, of our facilities are really low. That's why I'm starting with. I'm saying, I'm not saying this isn't high. I'm saying the offsets is, because actually, yourself, for instance, is the number of foreign businesses still making massive investments going to enjoy an economy. Why? Because when time these guys balance of the upsides, it still works. That's yeah, of, of course. Part. Right. Two is the fact that why I'm going to, two is the fact that if the business numbers make sense today, and I say this because I do a lot of work with, with young entrepreneurs and business people. A number of times, the businesses don't make sense. We're not used to this idea about sourcing some parts. We want to do everything. I want to be the one. So, for instance, I want to do an education service. I want the one that gets lecturer. I want to, we want to control everything. But that's not really. Sometimes you just have to focus on your core your business and outsource the rest of those that are going to do. So, there's a number of those issues. For instance, and I won't mention names. There's a business person that's wanted me to do some work with them in the past and the raw materials of that industry of what she's trying to do that she didn't want she didn't have to control but she wanted to produce the clay she wanted to produce the, wanted, and the truth of the matter is that would ensure that you've got so much leakages in your business that it can't work so the truth is thinking through the monetization and thinking through the monetization. And the structure itself. So yes, I agree totally that some things are expensive, but I'm saying that massive downsides on some parts that are cheap. Like right? there's the fact that there's even the social capital here in Nigeria. The fact that you can use your neighbor's house, you can use your um, your your, your neighbor's, um, backyard. And You're your totally right. On that. You know, so there's yeah. a number of downside here. Yeah. But beyond that, is also the fact that mm. a number of times the numbers don't even make sense. There's this excitement I get that I have an idea. But the thing is, yes, it's one thing. Before Maxwell was saying something very funny. It's like don't get tempted by that big idea. And he says that sometimes people not have a big idea. It's about whether the idea is workable visible the numbers make sense and the truth is it might be a a great idea it might be a massive innovative tech business in the end it is a business That's yes my point. and so for a business to leverage up the numbers have to make sense you get my point it's, it's got to be a, this component part this component part this component part this component part would include this i, had, I have a friend who um, runs an amazing tech text and this guy a number of all his clients come from the u.s but this guy just moved back to Nigeria recently. Like he's moved in he's London for a while. He, just moved, he said, Well, you know what? I did all the numbers. It just made more sense to be in Nigeria for me. And that's the true because Judas when you put and if your numbers make sense and, and you show it are ne- beyond even banks, the number of venture capitals that are given out funding, the number of and in fact, there's been a massive plunge of grants within Injury Injury. the insurance industry. The GEMS, the, um, the World Bank GEMS, in consultation with the Federal Reserve, of Industry just give about 81 entrepreneurs, about 756 million cumulatively for, from um, grants recently. So there's a lot of funds going around. if your numbers make sense. Of course. And, and that's my point. My point yeah. is, I agree with that. And I, and I can also name it several tech startups that have gotten serious grants, but have blown through all that cash in hours or days. And, and in fact, there are more of that than those who actually don't go with the money so i agree with you that yes we can do more with access to Finance and I've seen some of them already is the whole part of the conversation and infrastructure so, conversation as well, and, and definitely. And a great part of it is the work being done along the lines of the, the bill on getting credit that allows you to use your mobile property for assets. But, is I'm saying even if those numbers were, were low down, the number of things that are still don't get access to finance because their numbers don't make sense. And yes, that's
1: where, and that's where mm-hmm. I'm and to be honest, it's like that everywhere because that's the nature of startups. So, when I first came to Nigeria looking into it, I disagree, I don't think that's the nature of startup. No, that's, no, a ni- no, that's so, the nature, so, no, no, the no, I, that I, failures I build startup yeah, ecosystem. No, no, no. So, no, 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 so, I agree. Right. But but I'm so, it's it's and part of it is try and error. But there are failures that, were, that are systemic. There
0: are failures that are... Um, this field, we tried at it, environment didn't just work. And there are failures that were depictable from day one. Because if you just put the numbers and crunch it through a model, you know it wouldn't work. Yeah. And what I mean, I say by that is this. And I say this as someone who is a stakeholder in the tech space in Nigeria, mm. for instance. As of today, we're not committing as much time and effort to the whole issues of our business development, product development, and our legals. In fact, right? And even talent... We're running quickly short of talent, people yeah. realize that talents have become ridiculously expensive. So, the number of tech and, companies and we that, can talk a lot about that yeah. because of the education system exactly. as well, yeah, exactly. Okay. And, and the number of tech companies I'll tell you today that local tech companies I'll tell you it's so expensive to pay for tech talent because from foreign guys, going to pay for what they are, and there's not enough pipeline pipeline yeah, yeah. Talent, of talent, yeah. But beyond that, also, is that even those that take which off which you link back to the government yeah, as well yeah, with yeah. regards to education anyway but even those that take off right even those that take off and I'm, at this point I'm talking more on my own yeah. personal opinion yeah. even those that take off a number of them don't have a clear business product plan system so that so it's just a techie a business. The, business the business angle of it isn't strong mm. the business, the product angle of it isn't strong the legals of it isn't strong and so what happens is if some will take off accidentally in the end, or some will take off well but truth is it's going to blow up in your face eventually some, yes. some years from now when you realize oh I signed some agreement I shouldn't have signed I diversified some shit I shouldn't have done Yes, this day. I raised on crown of money and lost a lot of rights I shouldn't have yes. So, my point is in the end, we've got to realize it's a business, right? And if it's a business, and is, if I'm most businesses, including itself, all those downside and upsides in its calculation in your modeling of okay will this work because some business work is on climb we're not working on that you get so there's all that conversation that's what I'm trying to say
1: I, I agree with you on that and what I'm saying is that actually that we could be discussing this in London and it still holds true to a lot of startup I, I, because the, the initial startup is basically people just have, have an idea let me test it and most of them we fail because sometimes the number doesn't add up but you need to give room for people to actually and, experiment and failure is sometimes a good thing sometimes yes sometimes a good yes, thing, right
0: but but for me, I think the long term is also just ensuring that we've got stronger market access issues. So some of the work we're doing with trade and investment. And if you were to see the work program for the Nigerian um, Trade Investment Office, and um, Nigerian Office for Trade Negotiation, what's happened is it's a focus on a 21st century economy. Focus on not a, a, an economy where we can plug into the global value chains where we know where our strongest suites are and we can plug in there. We don't have to produce everything in the country. I mean, there are things where it's a comparative strength. Where should we in our efforts in? And that's where, and I make a joke about it, we also have to realize that in the end, we're not a socialist state. So, a great part of what government should do, and I agree with you, is in frameworks and ensure there's a good environment. But then there's a place for private sector to leverage on those environments. So, we gotta stop looking at, for, to government for funding for this thing, you know, government needs to give us, that's not the, that's not what government's role is. Government's role is to ensure there's a framework, and then it's, it's our work. And, and reduce any barrier. Uh, and reduce barriers, reduce obstacles. And the private sector and even citizens have to then take center stage in building ideas with better policies rolling out and all that. What has to happen is that you've got to plug into those policies, be proactive about it, and then start to build an industry from ground up where private sector has a clear role, government has a clear role. But beyond that, also, is that we're a competitive 21st century modern economy yeah. that does good work, that delivers competitive service, and is plugged into the global economy.
1: So, la- our last question is. Um, How do you see this play out in the future? Um, I mean, the future is big. It's too far for for you as a a government person. The future Uh, is two years. (laughs) The future is two years, right? So what are your visions? What do you see happening in the next two years on this roadmap that you're on right now with the ease of doing business? What are the key things that we should be expecting?
0: So more definitely, the three tiers of what ease of doing business should look like in the next phase is one, deepening the reform. So, First is just, because what I've said is the number of it is just pushing the ministries and and agencies to work. So pushing them to take response, better response. The idea is not for the decorator to do any of this work. It's just get them to the work they should do. A lot of also is reforms along people issues, because they're getting people, the civil service, to understand the ownership of how much rests on their shoulders. The second part of it is the whole issue of subnationals, getting states to become more competitive among themselves. So the idea of, and there's a ranking next year, 2018, where it's just about ease of doing business in more situated within the states. So beyond just the federal work now, like different states and even creating an almost competitive index among the states. Um, and, and the third part of it, like I've said before, is the trading within Nigeria index where we're getting, we're, we're focused more on making it easier for Nigerians to do more business. By the background of international trade and as an international trade lawyer, what you find a great number of times is that we need to be able to retain the value chain within the country. So it's not enough to say we just exported the raw material and we imported back the finished goods. We're able to retain the value chain within the country and so that what we send out of the country is a more finished goal so there's a good part of ensuring that trading within Nigeria is good beyond that also is the second part of what of just deepening being more strategic with our trade relations our trade alliances and our trade interactions ensuring that we have more deliberate interactions a lot more forge more strategic alliances with specific trading partners and ensuring that it's a symbiotic relationship so, so that even as our business environment gets better, there is a ready access to market for our product and our service. And there's no discrimination against our exporters all over the world. And I think the, the bigger spare for it is also ensuring that we actually become a stronger service economy than uh, just goods and services, but a stronger service economy, a competitive global economy. And that work transcends an administration one of the things I like is that everybody owns this, that conversation. Everybody talks about it regularly. Everybody cares about it regularly. And that's the good part of it. In The fact that it's, it's not just a comment saying it, it's about the fact that people own that conversation. Your feedback as private sector is the most important. Because you're the ones that know where the shoe pinches the most. It stares where the intervention should be most focused on. It stares where more increased effort should be put on. It stares what, what resources should be devoted and where. And what is the best fit solution in some of these cases. Because it's not enough to just do something. It must be a best fit solution. A sustainable, um, long-term Solution that is owned by not and people got to hold their government accountable because if you try out the service and it doesn't work, flag it up. The end of the secretariat is not is not in the whole sense of oh we got bashed. It's a that's good. This thing works. A how feedback. do we get it better? It's good. You get that? And that's the point. How do we get it working and running? And so that's more or less the, the future. The future is in Nigeria where citizens hold their parts, citizens understand their role and care about their role, and the private sector realizes that. In any economy, the country only really takes off when the private sector agrees and devotes resources to ensuring it takes off. And a government's role really isn't in throwing around money, but really
1: creating frameworks. So, what about you? What are your plans for the next?
0: <laughs>
1: Keep your fingers crossed. What should, looking, what should we be looking at for? for talk well, about? well, definitely, like I said, I've said the right? you used to want to stay in government for a long, long time? So, like the
0: honest truth is, government is a massive sacrifice in the sense that you've got to be responsible to the obligations you have. So. You, it, it's a cramp on some of the things you can say, it's a cramp on some of the businesses you can posture and all that, which is great um, in the sense that, well, you're, it's, it's, it's service to the country. But the short matter is that the future is, is pretty almost, I look forward to serving my country. I enjoy serving my country, right? But like I said, for me, it's where the best platform is to do three things, which is one, help create a 21st century competitive economy where our policies can help, our policies on trade and investment can help developing countries take off. The second part is more specific on the issues of transaction support and last part is around the issue of just helping create stronger um technical support around the legal issues for tech startups generally so those are three things i care a lot about and for me it's always looking for where the best fit is to get that done so it's not as much aware and the truth is there's always going to be an avenue right i I've, i just showed you i played around the private sector international law space i'm now in government i'm not in public service i don't know right but the fact is it's not really what the title looks like it's not really where the gamut it is where is the next best space where you can get that kind of work done consistently
1: You've been listening to Building the Future podcast by Dolton. These are the interviews with entrepreneurs that are playing a key part in shaping the African future, and you'll be able to hear all their stories. For more,
0: sign up for the weekly newsletter at thestarter.com. Our revolution will be televised.
1: STARTA.com and sign up for our newsletter. It will be a huge favor to me and it's really simple and easy. If you subscribe now, it will help us a lot. Thanks.